0: You're listening to All The Best. I'm Maddie McQueen. This is the part of the program where I usually tell you some anecdote from my life that tangentially relates to this week's theme. I'm sorry to say I won't be doing that anymore because this is my second last week hosting All The Best. Honestly, it feels a bit strange to be saying goodbye when there are so many of those anecdotes that I still haven't told you. You don't know about the time I accidentally stole a can of Coke from a nice Dutch man at the BMX World Championships, or the time I had a pet goat for like 18 hours, or even the time I had to get my earrings surgically removed after my skin grew over it. Maybe someday I will tell you those stories over a beer at the pub But for now, all I'll say is that it's been a joy and an absolute honour to present the work of our contributors to you each week for the past two years. Next week I get to introduce you to our brand new host, but before you get rid of me, I want to play you some of my favourite all the best stories. First up, a story that makes me feel nauseous. This story is disgusting and I really, really love it. It's called Mouse
1: When I first used my housemate's toothbrush, it was an accident. See, I'd been struggling to wake all year, thanks to a combination of buzzing mosquitoes and a few relentless thoughts that lingered more than the February heat. None can be blown away by a $20 Kmart fan, so I'm usually still half asleep when getting ready for work, as I was a few months ago, staring at myself in the mirror, toothpaste coagulating around my mouth, dripping down the brush handle and into the sink. It was the latest of my many messes. Upstairs, half-drinking mugs of tea colonized every surface in my bedroom, from bedside table to bookshelf. Not the floor, though. That belonged to my clothes, shared by the many months of New Yorkers still in their plastic wrap. I would clean it all when I needed to, not necessarily when my clothes ran out or ants feasted on festering crumbs. The toothpaste scud slid down my hand and onto my arm. I considered if this small morning ritual of brushing my teeth could be the first step towards greater cleanliness. Physical, yes, but also ontological. I was concentrating on how I could feel myself change, tooth by tooth. It was only when I went to rinse that I realised the brush, which resembled mine to the touch, was not hot pink, but purple. Once I realised what I had done, my mind raced to examine the implications. Ethical. Sociopolitical. Dental. Maybe nothing, right? Housemates share things. A house, for starters but also snacks, Netflix accounts, electricity bills. We even already shared toothpaste, something I, as the only person to buy toothpaste, had accepted long ago. Is it really crossing a line to share a toothbrush? But I couldn't pretend. I knew a line had been crossed. It was different. Our bodies had now been probed by the same stick. But whose body? I had no idea and it was of utmost importance to find out. Could it be A or H? If needed, I could tell those two about the mishap at any moment, in text, in passing, during an ad break. I wouldn't need to sit them down or apologise. We would laugh it off, seeing it as a one-time mistake. But G... G enjoyed space, privacy, cleanliness... But did he enjoy the color purple? To be safe, I decided to never mention it. To leave no trace, I rinsed the brush with care, dried it with a hand towel, trying to remember which way the head faced when I picked it up from its holder next to the sink. All day, I found myself preparing for a potential confrontation. Would G instantly suspect me? Would he make a scene or plot a quiet vendetta? How would he know? taste, smell. Perhaps I'd brushed the bristles too hard, their new shape speaking of someone else's mouth. I found myself treading lightly that night, staying in my room and resisting the need for water or food. When I heard G turn off his light, I headed to the bathroom. Grabbing my own toothbrush and squeezing the tube, I stared at my well-worn bristles, flattened out from the center by applying too much pressure like twisted roots of a pot plant searching without aim for fertile ground. I had no idea how long I'd had it, two years, three, and just like that, I could no longer ignore what it was telling me. Like eating toast for dinner or not washing my sheets, it was a sign that I, no matter how much I pretended, did not really care about myself. But the purple toothbrush was pristine. Its owner must brush lightly, Not motivated by a need to scrub away the day. It must be G's, who treated his body to morning stretches and home-cooked meals every night. I washed the toothpaste off the pink brush and put some on purple. I let the bristles caress my teeth slowly, imagining G counting four seconds for each tooth like he'd been taught as a child. Gradually, I felt the plaque break up like it does in the commercials, dissolving away to nothing. That night... I slept sound. I woke before my alarm for the first time in years. With time to spare, I did a load of washing and before leaving for work, I took a chance with the purple brush again. I even used the tongue scraper, those little weird bumps on the back of brushes and felt even better. I kept pushing further and further back until I gagged and spat up a glob of phlegm. It glowed green like cartoon toxic waste leached from my body. That day, I spoke without the scratch in the back of my throat during meetings at work. My voice was soft and reasoned, like geez. I used his brush over the next week, morning and night. Each time I scraped my tongue, I imagined my taste buds resetting, my words now able to travel past without picking up old flavors. But with each brush, the bristles tasted more of myself, sickly metallic and familiar. It was clear I needed to let the purple brush recharge, to let G's spit settle. On the seventh day, I decided to try the green toothbrush. I sucked the bristles to see if I could detect a certain je ne sais quoi, and then applied the toothpaste. That day, I picked up the litter in my room and canceled my New Yorker subscription. I even went for a jog. It wasn't too long, however, till my clarity clouded. As the power of the green toothbrush waned, I was confronted with a conundrum. By process of elimination, the two yet untouched brushes were H and her boyfriends. Unfortunately, they were indiscernible to the taste and I gained no reward from them. I began to panic. I decided to rotate between green and purple I was resigning myself to red or black every third day to allow the others to regenerate. On bad days, I'd brush my teeth up to five times, which meant taking them to work and returning them before their owners could notice. I knew it was risky. I was being careless, but I didn't care. Not only was I destroying the delicate harmony of our share house, but I was destroying the brushes themselves. With each day, I felt less and less. Nothing could recreate the thrill and the danger of that first brush. Late one night, unable to sleep, I scoured the bathroom for alternatives. Soap, razors, shampoo. Nothing catches the essence of another person quite the same way. In the morning, after a shower, I noticed some underwear my housemate had forgotten to pick up on the bathroom floor. But they were too tight, and after a day of constant wedgies at work, I felt only the itch of disappointment. Then, two months into my journey, G messaged our group chat. Hey, does anyone know where my toothbrush is gone? It's the purple one. H replies. Wait, which brush? Then A says. The purple one? G. Yeah, that's my brush. A. No, that's mine. H. What are you talking about? Turns out the four of us had been using the same brush for months. Recently... I've returned to my own pink toothbrush, which has lost its metallic mouthfeel. Sometimes I still switch it up. Now I'm staying overnight regularly at a boy's house. The first morning that I found myself in his bathroom, he offered me his electric toothbrush while he trimmed his beard. The vibration tickled my gums, and when I was done, he grabbed it from me. I stood with no reason to be there, with nothing to do but watch. He brushed his teeth with a childlike fury, the foam sliding out of his mouth and dropping down his arms. As he leant down to rinse, he paused to look at me in the mirror standing behind him. He laughed and said, This might be weird, but I think I can taste you.
0: story was by jared richards sound design and original music composition by pip leeson eugenia zubchenko was the supervising producer a special thanks to subbed in where jared read a draft of this story and shout out to jared's housemates you all have great teeth you're listening to all the best I'm Maddie McQueen. At All The Best, you can learn how to make audio documentaries, essays, and fiction. If you have a story to tell, get in touch. Visit allthebestradio.com and send us your pitch. We'll pair you with one of our supervising producers to help make your story. When we tell people who haven't heard our show that we regularly play stories adapted from comic strips, they don't always understand. How do they work without the visual? I don't really know. They just do. Here's one of them from comic artist Papa Grumbus, who notices something disturbing about their brother. A content warning, this story contains some swear words.
2: Hey everyone, so I was meant to wear this mask, but now you all know what I look like, which bummer, but oh well. Alright, so with my story, we're going way back. Okay, I'm taking you all the way back. 2019. the Beginning of the year, actually. So like, at this stage, 2019 is still like a tiny baby that's like fresh out of father times bussy. So like, everything's new, which means new year new me, which means new projects. Of course, I decided to take on a new thing, which I'll abandon in no time. And for some reason I decided that I'm just gonna record in my brain all the greetings I have with my friends and just like all the mannerisms and stuff. Not really sure why, but I did it anyway. When I stored it all in my little brain biblioteca shelf which has, like, really important information in it, such as, like, the lyrics to Bound To and the lore of the Moomin universe. (laughs) And, like, not a whole lot else, but, you know, (laughs) it's useful. I made some pretty cool discoveries. Like, I had some friends. They had these, like, little habits, which I didn't notice before, like, little head tilts, little, like, eyebrow raises. Sometimes people smile with their eyes when they see me. It was kind of cute. Some people had like hand gestures instead, like little shockers and peace signs. And this probably isn't like a surprise to anyone, but like the closest you you are to someone, the weirder their interactions are. So like I had some friends who would just go absolutely ape shit and just kind of go like I oh, know, it's not really an R. Oh. Can someone help me? Yes! That is what I am talking about. That's the kind of shit. Anyway, <laughs> Those ones are cool. Then I noticed, like, with my partner, who's I don't know he's probably the closest person to me, his greetings were like, "They're sweet," but they're usually just kind of telling me to piss off, <laughs> but like in a sweet way. <laughs> the thing is, like, that wasn't even the weirdest one I discovered. So the story is about like the weirdest one I discovered. The incident takes place as I'm like getting into the passenger side of my little bro's ride, and he pulls up and he just goes howdy do <laughs> I'm just like the fuck what <laughs> like was that a question or like a greeting so like how do I respond do I go good thanks do I go howdy like, I don't really know so I started thinking like how did like language develop to this point like where did this come from and and I got into this like entire thing about like the etymology of language, and it's like, it's super beautiful because like humans have been like saying shit for years. It's crazy, and we get to this place like, how do you do? Anyway, like I think maybe this is just a one-off or something. So I decided like, yeah, I'm just gonna keep checking up on this. Maybe you know it won't happen again. But like every fucking time, he's like, how do you do? how do you do how do you do how do you do I'm like what the I'm like is this a joke like maybe he's just doing this to me so I decided to like confide in my partner about it I'm like hey are you aware of like how my brother greets people he just kind of stops and he pulls back and he goes yeah (laughs) it's the fucking worst (laughs) I'm like, well, "Oh, okay, so it's not just me, he's doing this too." I'm like, "Well, how long has he been talking like this?" <laughs> and he's like, "A long time." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh shit, legit? Like this has just been going on? I didn't notice?" So, like, basically my little bro's been walking around, like, doing this, like, Ned Flanders Oakley Dokley shit for, like, if my, you know, estimations correct, almost five years. And I didn't even know, like, how do I not pick up on the behaviours of those, like, closest to me? (laughs) So I kind of just start thinking, like, what have I not been noticing around me? Like what else do I not be knowing? (laughs) Like, I don't know, some crazy shit. Like, the world could be, like, descending into fascism or, like, the Amazon could be on fire and I'm just making comics, like, some kind of turd. Like, (laughs) man, what's going on? So anyway, I decide, well, look, I'll just confront him instead of, like, shit-talking him behind his back. So I meet him. I'm like, hey, are you aware of how you greet people? (laughs) He just kind of looks at me like, (laughs) like, what kind of question is this? (laughs) I explain, like you say howdy do, do, like you're trying to be Ned Flanders or something, like <laughs> some oakly-dokly bullshit. He's like, no, I don't. <laughs> I'm like, what? No, I can't. Like, this mean haunting me. And, like, I explain more. He's like, what? You're just like really confused about the entire situation. So I like keep going at him. I'm like, yeah, you do. Like every time you pull up, you're like, howdy do, you do? I'm like, what? But the thing is, I know when my brother lies and he wasn't lying he's a really bad liar and like man he wasn't lying so like no bullshit detected here which is like this is what kind of sent me like if he's been doing this for so long saying this multiple times a day then like maybe we all do weird stuff that we're not like aware of like what am I doing like have I also been doing stuff that people notice about me and I just have no clue man like how do people perceive me like what do people see me as? Like, I have no idea. What is perception? Anyway, like, we don't really have time to, like, unpack all that, so let's keep going. (laughs) Anyway, like, this kind of resolution takes place on one lovely morning. My brother walks into the kitchen as I'm drinking, like, hot bean juice, which is coffee, essentially. And he goes, how (laughs) the... expression is like a mix of kind of disappointment but surprise I can't really explain it so I just kind of (laughs) fucked it up a bit more (laughs) I didn't really know how to respond so I didn't I just kind of looked at him (laughs) and just watched it sink in it's like whoa I just love watching people have realizations so good anyway moral of the story Now he walks into rooms and says, how do you do this (laughs) Yeah, he's like, since you made me aware, it's my thing now. (laughs) Oh, no, that wasn't really immoral. The actual moral of the story is, I overthink everything. Uh (laughs) But that's also not really immoral. But, like, who cares? You didn't come here and learn morals, right? Uh All
0: right. Thank you all for listening, and thanks, bro. That story was told by Papa Grumbus. It was recorded by Zasha Rosen at Read To Me, a live storytelling event in Sydney. You can find out more at readtome.net.au. All right. For old time's sake, one more embarrassing anecdote. When I was 19, I worked in a bakery. I worked early shifts. I usually finished at about 9 a.m., and it wasn't uncommon for me to grab some breakfast for the road when I finished, setting off on my walk home with a pastry in hand. There was one particular morning, though, when I finished my shift and decided, today is a great day for a chalky milk. At first, it seemed like a brilliant idea. I started daydreaming about adding the chalky milk as a regular cast member in my morning routine. Not a main role, but like a recurring character. Until, about ten minutes into the walk, the cramps struck. What goes in must come out, and the chalky milk was ready to exit. I adjusted my route. There was a public bathroom in the dog park nearby. But when I got to the dog park bathroom, it was closed. They didn't unlock it this early. I'd wasted precious time. I picked up the pace, but, like, not too much, Any overzealous change in velocity could have detrimental consequences. I focused like I never had before with only one goal in mind. Make it home and make it home fast. And I made it. I made it to my street. There it was, my house with my very own bathroom waiting for me. It was such a relief. And in that moment of relief, I relaxed. I let my guard down and I shat my pants in the street outside my house at 9.45 a.m. on a weekday. Our final story today is about shitting yourself and proudly letting the whole world know about it. Heads up, this story contains some swear words.
3: The people who know me know that I'm an open book. I am super fucking vulnerable all of the time and wanna talk about everything. But I used to be a closed book. Until one night, I couldn't keep that book shut anymore. It was pried open through the power of diarrhea. I was at a house party for a friend's birthday. I was in a new relationship at the time with a lovely, sweet man called Aiden. I was quite tipsy and enjoying myself, having a conversation with him and a close friend of mine. We were all chatting and laughing. Then at one point, something clicked in my brain and I started to think that the two of them were really hitting it off without me. I was like, oh my God, duh, they're in love. Of course he wants this beautiful shiny-haired fox and not you, right? It was like game over for me. My crushed little heart was like parachuting out of my body. Now I know you're probably thinking, yikes, chill. Are you all good, dude? And no, dude, clearly I was not all good. Something you should know about me is that I'm hypersensitive to rejection. Like, I'm always looking out for it, ready at any second for someone to hurt me. And so when I do feel rejected, my brain sort of shuts off and goes into a fight or flight mode and I just react. So I reacted by drinking a lot. I think the formal scientific term is binge drinking. When I kept dodging various interactions with Aiden throughout the night, he eventually pulled me aside to ask me what was going on and find out what was upsetting me. But instead of trying to explain the complex cocktail of hurt and shame I was feeling, I chose to push it all down. Classic. You know how they say humans are like 98% water? I'm like that, but 98% emotions. My whole being is propelled by my feelings. Rational thoughts barely get a word in. So in the heat of the moment, my flight response won, and I called Anuba. As Aidan was begging me to just communicate with him, I flew into the car and slammed the door, staring at him with tears in my eyes as the car pulled away. It was super dramatic. So as I was sitting in this Uber, I started to feel really queasy. I had to ask him to pull over. I swear to you, I fell out of that car so fast and fell into the gutter and just vomited my soul out. It came in waves, I'd catch my breath and then it would come back again. The Uber waited there for ages. I had no idea what he was doing, but I wanted more than anything to tell him to leave so he didn't have to waste his time and so I could vomit in peace. Eventually, the Uber driver gets out and walks over to me and with all the energy I could muster, I'm like, leave! And so he threw my bag out of the car and drove off. Then my good friend calls me from a festival, hi, and looking for a chat but is met with my psycho screaming and crying as I try to explain what's just happened to me. He tells me, don't worry, I'll call your mom and hangs up. So lay strewn across the grass behind the gutter, which I realized I haven't mentioned before where I am. So for the integrity of the story and for anybody who's familiar, it's at the bottom of Norton Street um, in Leichhardt opposite a beautiful Italian restaurant called Grappa, which I've been to before and really do recommend. I hear a car pull up next to me, it's Mum. Oh my God, what have you done? I was so relieved I started crying and I kept asking her if she still loved me. In her disappointment and frustration, she urged me to get into the car so she could take me home. But I was too sick to move, so she just had to watch as my poor, limp body convulsed each time I coughed up this awful, deep bile into the grass. After a little while, just as I was slowly getting prepared to make the move to the car... I felt a sudden pang in my stomach. Something was coming, and it was coming fast. Mom! It dawned on her what was about to happen. Don't you fucking dare! But it was too late. The train had already left the station. I shuffled my way down into the gutter, pulled my panties aside, and began to shit. Shit. I shot liquid diarrhea out of my ass into a gutter on Norton Street at 2 a.m. in front of the proud woman who birthed me and raised me to do better. So the next day, I spent recovering. I got my punishment and paid my dues. When I finally had the energy to shower the shame off and move again, I remember asking my mum if I could tell Aiden or even anyone about what I'd done. Mom was adamant that I could never tell a soul about what had happened, especially not Aiden. But the more I thought I was supposed to hide it, the more I wanted to challenge that notion. What's the worst that could happen? How could I just live my life pretending that never happened? How could I possibly look someone in the eyes as they ask me, hey dude, like how are things with you? And be like, oh yeah man, like things are good, not much to report here, when actually it should be less than 24 hours ago I shat in the street, that is what is up with me. I realized that I didn't wanna go my whole life keeping a secret like that. I didn't wanna be ashamed. So I decided to tell Aiden. And guess what? (laughs) He proposed. No, of course he didn't propose. We did break up, but it wasn't because I shit myself. And that's a beautiful thing.
0: That story was produced by Conchetta Caristo. The supervising producer was Ryan Pemberton. All the Best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. All the Best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal land in association with Sin and 3RRR on Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung lands, and ACCC on Arunda and Wurrungwungu lands. This episode was mixed and compiled by Oliver Duke. Our editorial manager is Mel Chun, and our production manager is Danny Stewart. Matilda Fay and Angela Moran are our social media producers. Shining Bird composed our theme music, and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network and were made possible by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find out more at cbf.org.au. You can find more episodes by searching for All the Best wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Maddie McQueen. Thanks for listening.